Well, thank you all for having me. It's great to be here. Um, it's, it's, it's a really, it's a treat for me to be here. I did college ministry for years and years before I was a worship leader, and, um, and so it is, it's good to be here with you all, um, a real privilege. Tonight, what we're going to do is I have handouts, and I'm going to draw pictures, okay? So that's what we're going to do. Would you mind handing these out, and would you mind handing these out to your side? Um, and then, and so, can everyone see what, what I'm, see what we're doing here? Everyone? Okay, good. All right. <clears throat> um, so, so tonight we're going to do a Bible overview, and what I want to do is give us a handle on Scripture, okay? Give us something that we can grab a hold of and trace through Scripture and, and, and understand kind of the whole picture all at once, all right? And, and so the idea that we're going to trace is the idea of covenant um, or promise. So on the front of your handout, you've got this grid here, um, and we're going to draw a picture that really illustrates this grid. And then on the inside, we've got a bunch of scriptures, and I'm going to call out, hey, would someone read this passage? Someone raise your hand and read the passage, all right? Okay. Good? Deal? Everybody? All right, great. Okay. So, God makes covenants. Covenants are promises. God is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. Eternally, forever, makes promises that, that bind him to people, bind him to us. Okay? So, God makes covenants. They're binding promises. They're serious promises. They're... The best thing that we can say is they're kind of like contracts. If you've ever had to sign a contract, maybe for a student loan or something like that, or for a car or whatever, and, and that, that blank line is there and somebody else's name is on one side and you put your name down on the other side, which says, I'm going to pay this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to come through on what I'm promising, I'm putting my name to it. That's kind of like a covenant, except a covenant is all that much more serious because in the ancient Near East, when the, in the time when the Old Testament was written, covenants weren't made on paper. They were made in blood. Um, and so we have this scene in Genesis where Abraham cuts apart animals, and it's this weird scene unless you know that God is making a covenant with Abraham and he's cutting the covenant in blood. And the gist of it is, if I am to break, if I'm to break this covenant, it's not like defaulting on a contract or whatever, and they, they come and, and you have to pay money and whatever. The idea in the ancient Near East is, is if I break this promise, I'm going to die. That's, the, that's a promise cut in blood. Does that make sense? So when God makes that kind of promise, it's a, it's a really big deal, right? It's a huge deal that he would make those promises. So... The, the covenants go through Scripture, one, one great covenant or, or kind of a bunch of covenants, and we'll see how that works here this evening. But they make up the backbone of Scripture. They define God's re- relationship to mankind. All right, so that's the premise that we're going with, all right? So we are going to start at the very beginning because it's the very best place to start. Um, so um, we're going to start with what's called the covenant of works. Uh, oh, yeah, I wanted to draw this, too. Um, 
We'll, we'll get to these in just a second. But um, Scripture starts off, and there's a place called Eden that God makes and, and people dwell in. These, I'm, I'm really good at drawing, so yeah, you're going to see how good at drawing. Uh, there we go. All right, so there's a man and a woman in the garden. Now, they're in, a, they're in a specific place in Eden, and that's a garden, okay? So there's this place called Eden. There's rivers running through it, and there's a man and a woman in the garden. And there are two trees that are there, okay? You see in, in Genesis 2, 8 and 9, there's a tree called the tree of... Uh-huh, and a tree called the tree of the knowledge of... Yes, yes. And one of those trees has a fruit. Now, I drew something that looked like an apple. It wasn't necessarily an apple. Apples are fine. You can eat apples. Um, uh, pomegranates, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, so so there's, a, there's a fruit on, on a tree, okay? Um, so would somebody read Genesis 2, 15, and 15 through 17 for me? Okay, thanks. Lord God. Okay, so there's a bunch of trees in the garden. There's, there's the tree of life is there, which, which is mentioned elsewhere. And then there's this tree. And what's supposed to happen with this tree or not happen? Not eat of it, right? So it's the one thing. It's the one thing, right? You had one job. Um, so, so then... Along comes, and, and this is, I'm just going to talk through what's there in Genesis 3, but it's, it's uh, written out for you there. Along comes a serpent. A serpent starts to speak. Rule of thumb, don't ever interact with speaking serpents. It's not a good idea, right? Um, and, and, and I say that jokingly, but it really is true. There's an animal talking. Eve and Adam should have been like, Woo, no, 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 no. They were not going to have any of this. But, but, they, they converse with the, with, the, with the serpent. The serpent convinces Eve that that's a good thing to do, is to eat of that fruit. And so in Genesis 3, she does. Okay? Um, she took and ate of the fruit. So verse, verse 6 there. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took and ate, and uh, she took its fruit and ate, and also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. All right. So I want to be really clear here: the Bible could be a really short book; it could end right here, done, finished. Right by all rights, God could say, "I'm wiping out people," but He doesn't. He doesn't. Okay. So, this, this we call the covenant of works. Why do we call it the covenant of works? Because man was given in this promise that God had made with him. You're going you're gonna to live, you're going to be fruitful, you're going to multiply, you're going to fill the earth, you're going to tend this garden. And the thing that you need to do to keep up your end of the bargain is don't eat of this fruit, Right? And so there was a work involved. Man had to do something or not to do something, and man broke that. 
So we call that the covenant of works, and it's broken, okay? And so Adam and Eve are not killed right on the spot. Instead, they are kicked out of the garden, they are separated from God, and death does enter the world. Because in the garden, they could have eaten from the tree of life and, and lived forever, presumably. I mean, we don't know, but presumably that's what would have happened. But that's not what happens. They get kicked out of the garden, and God pronounces a curse on Adam and Eve. Okay? And so he pronounces a curse first on the serpent, then, then on Adam and Eve. We're going to look just at a bit of the curse he placed on the serpent. The first part of this curse is he said, you're not going to have legs. Um, and so that's, you're going to go on the dust, in the dust uh, the rest of your life. And then Genesis 3.15, who will read that for me? Someone read that for me. Okay, so God says where there was friendship with this serpent, God's going to put, he's going to make them enemies. That's actually grace that he would say, okay, I'm going to get you far away from this serpent who tricked you. Um, but then, and this, this is upon the, upon the serpent, so between your offspring and her offspring, and then it gets really specific here, and and. And especially in the original language of the Hebrew, it sort of jumps off the page where it says, He, he shall bruise your heel. And when we, when we read that, we should go, who's the he? What does that mean, the he? Well, it's, it's, the, it's the offspring or the seed of the woman. He, that, that seed from the woman, that, that offspring from the woman, will bruise your head, he says, God says to the serpent, and you shall bruise his heel. So they're going to inflict damage on one another. Which is worse, a, 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 a bruised head or a bruised heel? Head. Yeah, right, right. So, so the, the seed of the woman wins by bruising, some, some versions say crushing the serpent's head, but the serpent will get in a lick. It will do something here, okay? So that's all right there, and, and this is the curse. So, uh, oh, here we go. Um, so from, from all of these trees, there comes, I'm going to call it the seed, all right? Genesis 3.15, that's a seed promise. And now God starts to do something different. We read it in our, our call to worship here this evening in, in Jeremiah, where he's going to make a new covenant. We're going to see how that new covenant builds throughout Scripture. And this is, this is the backbone of Scripture. This is how Scripture holds together. And up out of this seed, uh, I'm going to, sorry, hold on. I'm going to move the seed over here. There we go. Up out of this seed comes not the covenant of works, but the covenant of grace. Okay? And we get this tree of grace that comes out from it. 
So God makes a promise. He makes it with man. Man has one responsibility. Man fails. The promise is broken in that covenant of works. And now we come to the covenant of grace. Okay? And that starts with... That first covenant is with Noah as the covenant head. So when we talk about these men, the covenant head, they represent all of the people of God at that time. So it's made with, made with all of creation. Can I have two readers read uh, Genesis 9, 11 through 14, let's say, and then 15 through the end, 15 through 17. 11 through 14, someone? Okay, and then 15. Okay, thanks. Now we go over to 15. So he makes a covenant with Noah. What's that covenant? What's he say he's going to do or not do? He won't send a flood to do what? Destroy the whole earth. So this is a covenant made with all of creation. Okay, everything. Everything and everyone in creation, right? And what's the sign of that covenant? A rainbow. Get ready. This is, this is super duper special effects. Ready? Whoa! Oh no, I lost the orange! Ah! Ah! Orange, orange went off. Ah, uh, there we go. Oh no! <laughs> okay, so how long does this covenant last? Did you see in there? It's an everlasting covenant. Okay, we're going to pick up, the orange is going to be all the arrows. So it goes on forever. Now, here's something cool. This rainbow shows up again in Revelation, the last book in the Bible, and it's all around God's throne, saying he's keeping this covenant. He's, he's not going to destroy the earth again with water. He's kept his covenant. It shows up at the end of the Bible. It's an everlasting covenant, okay? Made with all of creation. All right, now we're going to move on to the next one with Abraham. Okay. Would someone read Genesis 12, 1 through 3? Okay. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make, you, make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay. So, God, no, notice, notice that at, now when we're talking about the covenant of grace, who's the initiator of the covenant? Who starts the covenant? God. 
Yeah. And who keeps the covenant? God does. Right? Man is involved. Man is graciously involved, but, but he doesn't uphold any part of it. It's God who does. Okay? So God here initiates a covenant with Abraham, and he says what to Abraham? What's, what's, what's going to happen in this covenant? Come on. Okay, it'll be a great nation, so there'll be people. Uh-huh. And he's going to give him land or a place. And then what's going to happen to everybody else because of Abraham? And be blessed. Right. Okay? So, people, place, and blessing. That's what comes out of this covenant. All right? And so, we're going to draw... Here we go. People. Now, if you look down at the next section in Genesis, this is with Abraham still, how long does this covenant last? It's an everlasting covenant. All right. It's an everlasting covenant. It never stops. So there's a people, they're going to live in a plan, or they're going to live in a land and a place, and they will be a, a blessing. Now there's a sign, there's a rainbow for, for this. There's a sign for these people. Okay? That sign is a sign called circumcision. It's a sign in blood that's placed upon the males of of. Uh, the people of Abraham, okay? And these people, these people are called Israel. They're called the people of God. They're called children of Abraham. Uh, they're called blessed, beloved. We could go on, but we'll stop there, okay? So that's, these people are called that, and they're marked out with this sign called circumcision. Everybody tracking with me so far? Okay, great. Now we come to the next covenant. With Moses. All right, this one's a little bit more tricky, but, um, but we're going to dive into it. All right, so uh, Deuteronomy 5, 1 through 7. Someone read that for me. So, in Moses, so, so now, let's, let's go back. Let's retrace our steps. First, God is not going to destroy the earth with water. That's great. Okay? Not just not going to destroy the earth with water. He's going to 
give, there's going to be a people with a land and they're going to be blessed. But then how do they live with God? How do they, how do they relate to God? How do, how, what, what are the rules for following after God? And God gives them that in the law in Moses. Okay? Now, the, there's, a, there's a national law or a civil law. There's a ceremonial law or a sacrificial law. And then there's what we call the moral law. All right? So national law, how, how Israel should live as a nation, right? Does that make sense? Okay? Ceremonial law, how Israel should sacrifice and worship God. Moral law is summed up in the Ten Commandments, which we started here with, you shall have no other gods before me, don't have idols, don't take God's name in vain, keep the Sabbath, honor your parents, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't lie, don't covet, okay? That's, that's the gist of that moral law. We're going to talk about these two in just a minute, okay? So just, this, this also may help you when people say to you, wait a minute, you just pick and choose what you want to believe and what you want to follow in the Old Testament. We're going to talk about that in just a second, okay? But here are the moral law, the Ten Commandments. How long do the Ten Commandments last? Let me put it this way. If and when we get to, when we get to live in eternity, everlasting life, does anybody want there to be murder there? No, no, no. Stealing? No, 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 no. no. Coveting, adultery, lying, right? Right. This, and Jesus even affirms this, is an everlasting law. It doesn't stop. Jesus comes back around in the Sermon on the Mount and he reaffirms the Ten Commandments and says they're even way bigger than you thought. But, um, but the moral law continues. The Ten Commandments continue. So um, the sign of this is, is, is Passover, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, uh, and this is showing my even lack of artwork. See, I came to draw pictures of, for you to show that you don't have to draw good pictures. Um, okay. So the Ten Commandments. Okay. Oh, that's, that's good? Oh, great. Wonderful. All right, so you're not going to be destroyed. You've got a people, a land that are going to be a blessing. This is how you live for God and with God. And then we move on to what's, what's really the, the story of this is in 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 17, but it's summed up in Psalm 89, 3 and 4. So can I have someone read Psalm 89, 3 and 4? Someone? Great. Okay. Does anyone know what David was in Israel? He was a king, right. That's a crown. There we go. Kind of. There we go. Okay? So, God says, I'm going to make, I'm going to make a king. It's going to be David. But then what does Psalm 89 tell us about David's kingship? How long will that last? 
How long does somebody sit on that throne? Forever. Forever. Catching a theme? <laughs> right? Now, it's not going to be David. David doesn't live forever. It's going to be someone from his offspring. It's going to be this seed that they've been waiting for. Okay? So this is where covenant theology really, we get to see it come alive. Because we have Jesus and the new covenant. And this is where the New Testament picks up. So, I'm not going to destroy the earth again with water. There's going to be a land, a people, a blessing. They're going to have a, a law that will, they will follow. There'll be a king who will sit on the throne forever. And, and, and as this builds through the story, Israel is going, who's going to be the seed? Who's going to be the seed? Who's going to be the one who crushes the serpent's head and the serpent will, will bite his heel? Who's, who's that going to be? And it's Jesus. Jesus is a better Israel. He fulfills what Israel should have done in living as a witness for God in the world. Jesus does it. He's the better Israel. Their ceremonial law had priests, had sacrifice, had a temple, all of that. Jesus fulfills all that. He was the sacrifice. He was the temple. He is our high priest. He fulfills all of that. And Jesus lived out the moral law perfectly. He didn't break it, ever. Not in thought, not in deed, not in word. Never broke it. Never lied. Never took God's name in vain. Never coveted it. Never, en- ne- never any of it. So he fulfills God's law completely on our behalf. So Scripture points to Jesus. These covenants, these promises point to the fulfillment of the promise in Jesus. And in Jesus, there are people. Who are the people of Jesus? What are they called? Yes. They're called the church. Right? Church. So here, they're the church. But if you look at the end there, Galatians 3, they're also called children of Abraham. They're also called the people of God. They're also called blessed. They're also called beloved. See, there's still, a, there's still a people. There's a people here. People continue here. Okay? There's a land. That's heaven. Okay? That's, we are promised new heavens and new earth. At the end of the story in Revelation, God comes down. He makes a new heavens and a new earth without any sin, without any brokenness, where he wipes away the tears from eyes where there'll be no more mourning and no more pain and sorrow and sickness and death. And just as an aside, RUF, 
I want you to know, like, I know that, that you as a community have been through that kind of pain, especially this semester. But for a, for a while, we've, we've been suffering with this, with sickness and sorrow and pain and even death. And you may not know it as individuals, but, but I'm part of a church that prays for you all and walks with you all and wants to walk with you all through this. Um, and, and so I, just, I want you to know that as, as an aside as we're talking about this. So there will be a new heavens and new earth where there will be no sin and no sorrow, where the tears that we shed will be wiped away from our eyes. There won't be any mourning or sickness or sorrow or death. Right? That's the land. God's people still called to be a blessing to the nations. We prayed for the nations even as Joe was praying. For, for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, for the church in Ukraine, for the church in Russia. Imagine being the church in either one of those places tonight. Okay? So we're a blessing to the nations. We are. Yep. We are a people called to live in a way that honors God according to his law. And we have a great king. Who's that great king? Jesus. Jesus. Now, there's a sign of the church. Anyone know what that is? these people were marked out with circumcision there's a bloody cross that stands between our community and that community and so there's no longer a need for the for blood to be shed instead now it's water symbolizing the washing of God's people from sin so that we don't so that we don't pay the ultimate penalty of separation from the love and the goodness and the grace of God so that we don't suffer under the wrath and judgment of God because Jesus took the wrath and judgment of of God for our sins. See, Scripture says all have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. We've all messed up. We've all screwed up, not just by our own estimation, but by the perfect estimation of the one and true holy God. And we fall short. I fall short. You fall short. We all fall short of that. But Jesus came and lived the perfect life. And he died the penalty that we deserve so that we might have eternal life with him. And the sign of that is the washing with baptism. Symbolic washing with baptism. And this is how God lays out his promises through scripture. And so when we come to places in scripture where we go, I don't really understand how this is working. Why is this here? It's often because this story is being told all through scripture. Okay. And, and on this side of the cross, it's reaffirming the things that were told on this side of the cross in light of the cross happening. Does that make sense? The New Testament in scriptures is the Old Testament told through the lens of Jesus has come. God makes promises and he keeps them. And he doesn't just keep them for a while, he keeps them forever. And the whole weight of the promise is on him. So you all read Jeremiah 31 there. It's in, it's in the notes. 
You read Jeremiah 31 um, as your call to worship. It's where God says, I will make a new covenant. That's back here. And he's pointing here to this new covenant in Christ. Christ affirms that new covenant in Luke 22. He says in Matthew 5, I didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then just to show you that I'm not making this up. Would somebody read Luke 24, 44 through 49? This is Jesus talking. Someone read that for us? Yes. Do you see that? Do you see how, how Jesus just sums up this whole thing that we've just taken, I don't know, 30, 30 minutes to talk about? Jesus sums it all up right there in those verses. He says, all, all of uh, the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's all this side, must be fulfilled in him. And we get the, that... And that for the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name as a blessing to all the nations. All the nations will be blessed. All the, that promise is all the way back here, right? And then he says, you are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about how God lives with us and empowers us to carry out his will. But you hear that word of promise? That word of promise is fitting in with this whole theme of God makes promises and covenants. Now, we are tempted as predominantly Western American Christians to go, well, that promise means me. <laughs> okay? And I want to, I want, we're, we're part of a people who God has made, a, made those promises to. If we believe in Christ, as our Savior, and we trust in Him for salvation, we are part of a people that He has promised. Okay? And we benefit from those promises, but it's not this little individual pact that He made with you and me, that, that He saved up for all time just for you and me. He made it with His people, and we get to be part of His people. We get to be part of a community that loves and serves the risen Lord Jesus. So, that's the overview. That's to give you a handle on Scripture as we walk through it. Okay? Let me pray for you all. Well, Lord our God, I thank you for your grace and goodness given to us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the great story that you have written through Scripture, through all of history, that points to the great work of Jesus. We thank you that you are promise-making, promise-keeping God. And Lord, we thank you that we have the privilege believing in Christ Jesus to be in the midst of those promises. And I pray for those here tonight who do not yet know you, that they would see your amazing grace, that they would see your, how you have made covenants and all that rests on you, and that they would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and come to you for salvation. Lord, we thank you for the eternal promises and eternal life you give us in Christ. Amen.